frazzled women, welcome to La Vital Core Salon. This is your virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, and overscheduling addicts. I'm your host and salonier, Cara Martin Snyder. And heads up, this podcast features adult women having adult conversations. So if you have little ones, old ones, religious ones, anyone around you who will not pardon that kind of French, now's a good time to grab some headphones. Each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman leaving their unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. Today is a special day in Le Vital Core Salon. For those of you who have been following me on Facebook or Twitter, at Vital Core, by the way, hint, hint, if we're not connected yet, you've been seeing me post and share all of the past women that I've interviewed here on the podcast over the past two weeks with the hashtag IWD2017. And what I've been surprised to learn in talking to some friends and and other women is that some of you are not aware that today is International Women's Day. So I want to wish all of you women an extra special Wednesday, an extra special day, and a happy International Women's Day. And although we don't get to take the day off from work or from school and put our feet up, or better yet, put our feet up in a spa maybe for the day, this is at least a start of recognizing our contribution and our role in the world and celebrating being a woman. So again, I I hope you have a happy day and I hope you get to do something really awesome for yourself. Maybe it's just fixing yourself a cup of tea and having a few moments of peace and quiet today. Maybe it's taking a nap. Maybe it's doing something with friends. Maybe it's having a cocktail. Whatever it is that makes your life feel like it's spiked with passion and slathered with joy, I hope that finds you today. And for any men who are listening, and there might be a few, welcome. Thank you for being here. And do take a few moments, gents, to tell the women in your lives just how awesome they are. Okay, enough of me babbling on about International Women's Day, because I'm really excited for you to meet the woman whose work I want to celebrate today. And that's Katie Moonen. Katie is the founder and director of Artisana, which is a nonprofit social enterprise working with women in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And so Katie is going to talk about what that looks like and what that's doing in the community and kind of give us a bunch of context around that, which is is so fascinating. But Katie's also going to talk about how she is getting everything done that she's trying to do and honestly how she's working with her workaholic tendencies. So that's something Katie and I bonded a little bit on and she's sharing some of the things that she's really experimenting with to to be able to go pencils down at 6 p.m. every night, which may sound crazy to some of you listening. But, you know, we'll, we'll dive in there and we'll also talk about connecting with people in all sorts of different and unexpected ways in this conversation. From Katie having moved a lot growing up, how, you know, and originally feeling a little bit like a chameleon, kind of trying to blend in and, and, and make friends with the people around her, 
to how she's trying to hone and and craft her leadership style through through work and as a growing professional woman which is just so fascinating she shares some of her ideas and and what's working for her and we'll talk about the daisy versus orchid mode um, style of leadership which i think will be katie's book someday the conversation goes in all sorts of different directions we talk about grit we talk about asking for help there are so many amazing things covered and i can't thank katie enough for her generous interview Anyways, again, I'm still blabbing. So let's just go to the interview. Hey, Katie, welcome to the Vital Course Salon. How are you today? Hi, Kara. I'm doing well. Thank you so much. How are you? Good, good. I'm so psyched to talk to you. And for the listeners who don't know you yet, you are the founder and director of Artisana. Can you share a little bit about what Artisana is and what the mission is and your role there? Sure, yeah. So um, the mission of Artisana is to build a more just and equitable world through community-led creativity and entrepreneurship. So what we're doing is um, we're working in partnership with women here in Holyoke, and we're collecting donations of T-shirts and turning those into woven products using traditional hand-operated looms. And uh, the goal here is to sell those products and create income for the women and eventually have the, the income generated through sales also support our other programming that we do, which is also designed to support um, the needs of women in Holyoke that we're working with, namely free English classes and um, free creative workshops. And those are oriented around community building and, and a form of, of self-expression and, you know, just creative work. It's mainly fiber art, fiber arts based right now, um, but looking to expand to other um, creative things that are all going to be led by women in Holyoke. There's so much talent here that we're just looking to tap into, whether it's you're someone who knows how to make jewelry and you want to lead a workshop, or you're somebody who wants to show others how to crochet a bikini top. That's one of the ones we have coming up. Um, and those are all sort of designed, like I said, to, to build a solidarity networks for women in Holyoke, really prioritizing access for women from disinvested communities. And in Holyoke, that's mainly the Spanish speaking community. Um, so that's what it's all about. That's the power of women working together, really. I have a wonderful team of women that I work with here in Holyoke that, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to move forward. So cool. And I have to say, when I was packing my house and moving in, in Western Mass over the summer, I was so psyched to find a home for all of my old t-shirts as Craig and I were purging all of our clothes and that it was going to be made into something completely awesome like decorative (laughs) pillows and headbands and all sorts of stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, there's just such an excess of t-shirts really, but textile waste in general is just ridiculous in the US. So it's awesome to have a way to repurpose and reclaim some of that, what would have otherwise ended up in a landfill and turn it into instead something valuable. So Katie, where did the, the initial idea for Artisana come from? Um, I've always been interested in, you know, approaches to eradicating poverty or approaches to creating a more equity in the world. And I mean, we, I think most of us these days really are, dismayed at the state of things and um, to whatever level you are woke to whatever level you really recognize the depths of inequality and racism and oppression that is rampant in the world 
But most of us really do feel whenever we turn on the news or whenever we see this or that, like we really do feel a bit distraught at what's happening, no matter, like I said, what level of understanding you, you are at. Um, and it was just kind of one of those things where it, it can be really overwhelming and disempowering to, to confront the depths of, of the problems that we have in our world. But at the same time, all you can do is what you can do, right? So the, the approach here is kind of in our own sphere of influence. What can we do to make an impact, to improve our own lives and our own communities? And, you know, I think ultimately that's what we can all hope to do and, and strive to do. So that was kind of the impetus was feeling distressed at the way the world is and wanting to try to do something about it that is actually manageable within my own sphere of influence. And that's what I think is so interesting about what you're doing, Katie. Like, you're in Holyoke, Massachusetts, which for people listening that aren't familiar with Western Mass or that area, Holyoke is one of those cities that has seen a better day. You know, it's a former factory town. It's been quite depressed for as long as I've been alive, I've and growing up in Central Mass, I always knew Holyoke was like a really tough area, even as a kid. Yeah. Can you give a little bit more context about what life in Holyoke looks like right now and kind of how I always think when a project like this comes together, for a while, there's a lot of dots circling around, right? Like, or you're almost, you know, to put it into weaving terms, there's a lot of loose ends that you're trying to weave in together, right? Like, can you give a little bit of context about what life in Holyoke was like, what you were seeing as some of the pain points, and kind of how you're trying to answer them? Sure. Um, Holyoke's really an amazing city with an amazing history, you know, very prosperous at one time. It's known as Paper City because of all the um, mill, the manufacturing industry was so strong. And obviously, in recent decades, that has not been the case. And a lot of sort of poverty has has plagued the city. And especially, you know, the poorest residents have really had to suffer the brunt of what it means to live in an economically disinvested um, city. So really, a lot of you know, residential segregation, it's a textbook case here in Holyoke for how that becomes such a problematic um, factor in, in propelling the cycles of poverty and racism. And there's just a really, you know, especially in, in recent decades, really pretty troubling um, instances of, of, of those types of things. And at the same time, a lot of great work happening, um, a lot of amazing leadership within the Puerto Rican community, which is the strongest um, Latino community here in Holyoke. They're almost 50% of the population, don't quote me on the statistics precisely, but huge Puerto Rican community. And so through their leadership and other community partners, definitely, you know, progress has has been happening. Um, And, you know, especially in the few recent years, we've had a new mayor who is really, Mayor Morris, who has really challenged some of the old school Holyoke uh, ways of life, I think. And um, I mean, I'm, I should also sort of preface, I'm quite new to the city. So I, you know, with a grain of salt, I'm just sort of speaking as an observer. Within all that context, and there's such a rich cultural life as well, like I said, with, with the Puerto Rican community, and then different sort of artists who have taken up residence here too. Um, the, the city is really looking to, to sort of rebrand almost or, or use the arts and, and culture as an engine for economic development, which is, you know, something that is 
quite common in, in these instances of manufacturing cities um, trying to revitalize themselves. And it really is, I definitely believe the arts can really be a transformative factor in really helping for cities to, to sort of come back to life economically. At the same time, like I mentioned in Holyoke, it's, it's a little bit troubling slash really troubling that there's such low visibility of the Puerto Rican um, cultural contributions and the way they add to the vitality. And so Artesana is really, um, within that context, is about, is about that too, really. Um, finding ways to, to expand the creative life here and, and the visibility of creative people and, and artists who belong to the Puerto Rican or the, the broader Latinx community here in Holyoke. Also looking at sort of more quality of life issues, you know, we, we are providing an opportunity for women to make some money and we're also providing free English classes and free community workshops as a way to just get women together and create their own solidarity networks and yeah, we really, we really try to, our main thing is really trying to foster this culture within Artesana that's all about collaborating and affirming each person's power and agency to, to make the changes that they need to make in their lives and communities, you know, by accessing different tools and resources that, that will help. Katie, this is amazing work that you're doing. I mean, what I'm hearing is you have this mostly Latina community, right? It's mostly, it's women. Mm-hmm. So you have this Latina community coming together. You're helping to build that sense of community or, you know, facilitating that that sense of community, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. You're helping to provide jobs or a chance for them to earn some income. Mm-hmm. They're increasing their skills in speaking English. I mean, it also sounds like to some degree they're learning some entrepreneurial skills, right? Mm-hmm. Is, Definitely. Is is there anything else that I'm missing in everything that you're doing there? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a lot all at once, and and we it's very collaborative. So everything we do really is experienced and worked on by the the team. It's not it's not all about me whatsoever. I completely credit my team with what we've been able to achieve. So there's a core group of four women who've worked most closely with me on that end of things: Erika Perez, Ivet Aponte, Diana Rodriguez, and Pastora Torres. So they've really collaborated with me in our product design and thinking about how we want to present ourselves in our community and to the broader world and, you know, just everything we do. It's, it's really a, a collaborative effort. And as far as, yeah, it's definitely not like a full-time job opportunity at this time, but definitely part-time work, um, very important and, you know, much needed ways to supplement one's income. It's, it's definitely huge. Like in the fall, those four women that I mentioned, they're our main production team, and they were working, you know, 15 to 25 hours a week, depending. That was leading up to our, our, our um, production for our Kickstarter campaign that we were doing at the time. And so they're making, like, pretty significant um, income off of that, which just felt so amazing. And we were all really excited. That was also the first time that I was compensating myself for some of my hours working on the project. And, yeah, paychecks. Feel good. What can I say? It's which, which is such yeah. a milestone for mm-hmm. not only an entrepreneurial situation, but a nonprofit situation. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's exactly what we hope to be able to do in, in being a social enterprise model, which is, you know, kind of a hybrid. You're sort of combining nonprofit activities, you know, which are traditionally mission based and funded through grants and donations. And then you're also combining profit generating activities. So, you know, our, our business. So we hope to really by fusing those two elements become financially sustainable. And in an ideal world, we'd really prefer 
and love it if we could be completely independent by, you know, having our business be successful enough that it could fund everything we do. But one day in the future. (laughs) It's it's a matter of yet, right? Like it's, it's possible, but there, you still see that it's, it's a little bit further out on the horizon. Mm hmm. And you just, you, you wowed me, uh, uh, you wowed my five years of high school Spanish a few moments ago with your exquisite Spanish. And something <laughs> the listeners may not know about you is you grew up in Mexico and then have kind of made your way to Western Mass. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you made that transition? Yeah, sure. Yep. I grew up in Mexico. Um, so my parents are both American. They're both white Americans, but they grew up um, excuse me, they've moved a lot over the course of their lives. They're both musicians, classical musicians, and they play in orchestras. And so when I was three, we moved to Mexico. Both my parents got jobs over there. And I lived there from when I was three to when I was 10. And then we moved to Vermont. <laughs> wow. Quite, quite the contrast. <laughs> um, and lived there from ages 10 to 14. And then we moved back to Mexico for all of my high school years. So from ages 14 to 18. So yeah, I always went to Mexican schools and everything was in Spanish. I'm bilingual and bicultural and pretty much shaped by, by both cultures. You know, I'm American parents, but living mainly in Mexico. So yeah. And then I, I came to this area to go to Smith and decided to stay afterwards because I really liked the area. What did you really love about the area? Because one thing I noticed in the five years I spent in Western Mass, there are some amazing institutions of learning in Western Mass. There's Smith, there's Mount Holyoke, there's UMass, there's Amherst. Who yeah. am I forgetting? I'm forgetting one. <laughs> Hampshire. <laughs> Hampshire. I forgot Hampshire. How could I forget Hampshire? Oh, Hampshire's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a really, you know, educationally rich area and has so much to offer in quality life as far as fresh food, fresh air, and also proximity to larger cities like New York or Boston. But also, um, because of the higher ed institutions, there's a lot, you know, a lot, quite a lot of culture in what might usually be more metropolitan things on offer. Um, so I really appreciate that. And, um, Yeah. But I'm I'm so impressed that you stayed. I, I think a lot of what I saw, there was a lot of attrition. Like people would come to the area and really dig it. And then sort of at the yeah. end of four years or six years or a two-year degree or whatever, would kind of like wash their hands of the area and be like, this is great. Thanks, Western Mass. <laughs> and then go off to New York and Boston and all, yeah. up, all over the world. I feel that. I mean, most of my peers flocked to the Bay Area or New York for sure when we graduated. And I was about to. I was actually choosing between a job in New York City at um, the biggest advertising company in the world and the job that I ended up deciding to take, a small nonprofit based in Amherst where I was working in Holyoke. So two totally different life paths. And I'm so happy I chose Holyoke. And um, at the time, I, you know, I wasn't even that sure. I just didn't feel ready to leave and embrace what would have been a much more sort of corporate um, career path, I guess, if I had gone that route. So, you know, it just felt right to stay in Amherst. And that's that sort of speaks to something that I've noticed about 
my life, I guess. I really do believe in gut feeling and following your instincts and letting that inform your decisions as well as, you know, your pros and cons lists that you might make and more rational um, factors to take into consideration. I think there's so much that, um, you know, knowledge that our body and our mind holds in a way that isn't always accessible intellectually directly. But yeah, I just, I basically stayed because I felt like I should. And ever since then, it's become clear to me that that was definitely the right choice. So Katie, you touched on something really important in the work that I do. You know, something that I see with clients a lot is, and especially women, and especially the more we're educated and the more we're trained, I think sometimes we know we have this sense of intuition, but then we sort of talk ourselves out of it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How yeah. did you, I guess, how does intuition register for you? Like if, mm-hmm. and, and I know this is a difficult question to put into words. How does it register for you and how do you stay in touch with it? I'm obsessed with this question. I think about it all the time <laughs> because <laughs> we need to talk more about this. Me clearly. too. <laughs> I, I really have noticed it because, you know, at various sort of junctures or crossroads in my life, it's come down to a gut feeling that has swayed my decision, sometimes totally counter to what might appear rational, like, like that instance I just mentioned, why I decided to stay in Amherst as opposed to, you know, a much higher paying, perhaps yes. glamorous <laughs> life in New York City. Um, and then, you know, another, there was actually another time a year later when I was really struggling um, for various reasons. And I was, a, was trying to, I was struggling because um, I had this opportunity to go to Spain with a Fulbright grant. And I was like, oh my goodness, should I go? And I had just recently really started to connect with the elements um, in the city of Holyoke that I've, that I've then become sort of what really grounds me here. And it, once again, I was like, no, I have to stay here. And it made no sense. Everybody in my life was like, well, what are you doing? But I knew it was the right thing. <laughs> but so, yeah, as far as putting into words how I experience it, I think it definitely has to do with your gut. I mean, you feel it in your gut for sure. And then you, if you start paying attention to it and really sort of meditate or hone in on what is going on there, you can feel it um, sort of becoming a bit louder. And, you know, it's like people say that you just have to learn to listen to yourself or, you know, it might sound cheesy, but I really do think there's a lot, a lot there. And like I said, I've experienced it um, with my own eyes, I guess, <laughs> eyes and ears. So well, You mentioned kind of creating quiet space. You mentioned meditation. Is that how you access it or is it through journaling or do you have another entry point? I sort of have realized I need to adopt a multi-pronged approach because I'm definitely an external processor. So I need to sort of talk about it to people and just have them listen or give feedback. Um, But definitely the, the meditation aspect is really huge. And I think sort of the combination of those two things ultimately affirms that I'm listening correctly or that I'm feeling that gut feeling correctly. For me, anyway. I think it must be different for, for people. I definitely think journaling is huge for people that I know. For me, personally, it's not. But, yeah. So I've had moments similar to what you describe where I decided to make a change or move and everyone around me was scratching their head and thinking, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> how how did you find peace in those moments? 
Like when you finally like get yourself internally aligned and you're like, yep, this is the direction I need to go. How do you then deal with all of the external static and noise? I just find comfort in, in the knowing, like I feel, and I should also say I'm really indecisive. Like I really struggle with decision-making. And so once I feel that I have made the decision, I can feel it right away if I've made the right decision. So, and so far it's proved accurate in my short (laughs) life. Um, So when I'm sort of needing to explain to people or, or deal with the, the questions about, you know, why did you make that decision? I really just take comfort in, feeling that it is the right decision. It's hard to say. It's like a feeling of relief that comes when you're done with that process that you're like, okay, I figured it out. This is what I'm going to do. Does the noise ever get to you though? Does it get under your skin? Um, definitely. I mean, if, if I haven't, definitely during the decision-making process, 100%, it's really tough to sort of, it, it makes it even harder to sort of hear what's really going on inside and, and really let those things filter down to, to achieve that mental clarity that you need to make the decision. But for me, once I've made the decision, I, I don't really have a problem like st- sticking to it. At that point, know. it's done. It's yeah, at that point, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So the static for you is when everyone else are muddying their expectations or their ideas or their suggestions while you're still marinating in your own. During the process, exactly. And my process can be very slow for sure. Like sometimes it'll be months long process that I'm wrestling with what to, you know, what to do about certain thing. And that'll involve a lot of conversations, a lot of meditating, a lot of jogs, whatever the case may be. And whenever, whenever I do finally make the decision, that's when it's all over. It's go time. <laughs> yeah. From that point forward, every conversation is like, oh, yeah, I already made the decision. I don't really, like, reconsider it. I don't know. I, I guess that sounds really rigid. And, and maybe, I'm, maybe it sounds – it's definitely too much of a blanket statement. I guess I should say that that pertains specifically to, like, my personal choices, definitely, like, my personal life things. And then when it comes to, like, something more in the outer world to do with a project I'm working on or whatever, obviously you should always be listen to, listening to, to different interpretations or different possibilities and, you know, always consider them. Got it. I can't yeah. picture you, Kate, just in hearing our conversation so far, I can't picture you being someone that's like, I don't want to hear your opinions in a meeting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. no. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like you're really in tune with your own energy in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm always stalking my guests before we talk to kind of see what they're up to and and what else is going on. And one of the things I noticed about you is outside of your work with Artisana, you help people write grants, you work as a translator at UMass. (laughs) Yeah. Besides the often natural energy that comes with being in your 20s, what most helps you get all of this done? Great question. I, I definitely wear a lot of different hats. And so I think the motivator there sort of varies accordingly. Um, so, yeah, I, I do freelance grant writing. I, I mainly just work right now with one with one group, which is New England Public Radio, who I love. And I love getting to help in their, you know, their efforts and their work. Um, I also really enjoy translating and, and what I do is live simultaneous interpreting. So for events or conferences or whatnot. And I really love that too. Additionally, there's sort of where my heart is really in it 
is the work with developing and growing artisana. So there's a lot of very different skill sets and modes of being that go into each of those roles. Um, so I don't know. I think that I'll just speak mainly to one of them, which is the, the artisana project, which, like I said, it kind of has become this, I call it my grad school. It's like this opportunity for me to explore the things that I'm interested in, build the skill sets I need to build to do this work. And it's definitely trial by error and it's a painful process as all entrepreneurs know instead of, well, those of us anyway who don't have MBAs, <laughs> we're just trying yes. to learn from scratch <laughs> and learn as we go. Um, and I know, Kara, that you're a CPA, so so jealous of the knowledge that you have in that department alone. <laughs> but um, It makes closing my books easy, but it is different than an MBA. So there is a lot right. of lessons that I had to learn right. as the controller of some earlier stage startups in my career. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I was able to take when it was somebody else's money and somebody else's problems, like come in and help quell the chaos there. Mm -hmm. But it nothing prepares you for when it's your own baby. Yeah, definitely. So what keeps me going, I guess, is with, with regards to Artisana, it's like that opportunity to really hone in on what I find meaningful and what I know I want to learn how to do better. So part of that is definitely like, like an eagerness to get, to get through it, like to get things done, to see things through, to really see to create and see the results of, of your work, to have a tangible result. That's really important to me. And that really keeps me going to be able to see change happening, to see the fruits of your labor. Um, like, yeah, I think that might have something to do maybe with idealism that you can really make a change that will really make a difference if you do this work. And then maybe also with ambition, you know, that I've, you know, I'm really set on becoming good at what I know I want to be doing I don't know. It's, it's all interconnected. Um, so yeah, I would say that, that, that drive or that, that need to see things coming to fruition is really huge and what keeps me going. And then as far as something that is kind of like a fuel for that item, number one is definitely like community and like the people around me who I surround myself with. It's so important for me to, to be with people who I look up to frequently to be with people who are, um, inspire me and who I admire and respect because it, that, you know, life is short. It's too short to, to sort of allow your, your free time or any kind of your time, you know, as much as you can, can control it. If you're spending time with people who, who don't value you or don't nurture you, it's just kind of like, you, you may as well not do that. I mean, <laughs> I've sort of made that decision consciously to really just seek out the people who, who are going to help me be the best Katie that I can be. So that's fantastic. And, you know, as kind of an aside, when I'm working with clients, I tend to use a model where I'm having them, whenever we meet, give me an update on what I call dress. Because I work with mostly women clients, I ask them, How, do you have your dress on? Mm. And when I say dress, what I'm talking about is usually diet, rest, exercise or movement stress management, and social relationships. So I think your choice and your, your ability to recognize how important that is, is really important. And whether you know it or not, it indirectly aligns with the functional medicine model of health. Interesting. Where yeah. those are kind of some of the pillars. So yeah, 
I, I think you're scratching the surface on something really important that we often mm. discount. Like we think yeah. diet, diet and exercise and sleep are, okay, those are the ways to be healthy. But we forget about the human factor, the connectedness mm. factor, and totally. how that can weigh us down or totally. uplift us. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, I totally see that and feel that. One of the other things that I think has gone into this realization or, or commitment to, like, like I said, really just seeking out those people who are going to nurture you and, and improve you and celebrate you as opposed to any of the opposite of those is I moved a lot growing up. So even when we were living in Mexico, we moved to, we lived in three different places in Mexico and then we moved to Vermont and back again. So I really never lived anywhere more than four years. So I got to be really familiar with being the new girl in school and having to fit in and figuring out the social landscape. And basically I, I always was able to thrive. I mean, it wasn't easy especially being the only gringa, the only, (laughs) you know, I always went to Mexican school. So I was always kind of the odd one out in that department. Um, But one of my coping mechanisms, I I think, was to sort of be a bit of a chameleon, like really sort of accelerate the process of like making friends, being like, okay, this is what goes on here. Okay, I'm going to be part of this in this way. And sort of it, it kind of, on the one hand, it really accelerated my sort of social you know, being personable and being able to connect with people and being um, very perceptive and aware of sort of social language things and all of that. But I think on the other hand, it really delayed the process of getting to know myself and who I really am because of needing to always adapt to, to feel like I could like, have friends and not be totally isolated. So I always had to keep starting over that process of identifying who I am, you know, at, like while I was growing up. So for better or for worse, obviously I'm gained a lot through the richness of, of moving and I wouldn't have it any other way but I'm just it was only recently that I sort of really began focusing on you know really knowing myself and with that it just comes naturally to be with people who are positive in that way so that is so interesting and it's something that I've seen over the years in my work and that that ability to shape shift. Mm-hmm. It sounds like in a lot of ways it's served you. Has it has it drained you at all? Um, I don't know about drain as much. Only like I said, I think that it definitely put a little bit of a damper on on getting to know who I truly am. Like really being real about what matters to me and like how do I want to interact and behave in the world. Um, like even in college, I, same thing. I sort of, the de facto was, okay, who's around me naturally and how do I, you know, just enjoy the friendships that are, that are coming to be. And I completely love and value my, my, um, my Smith community. I just such amazing women who are, were great then and are amazing now. And I know they will be lifelong friends, but at the same time, I, I, when I really get real with it, I know that I was really like holding myself back from, connecting with other types of women who were there in the Smith community who I was just not coming into direct contact with naturally. And because I wasn't really paying close enough attention perhaps to like, wow, I really am missing like creativity in my life or like, wow, I'm really missing like very like social justice, passionate folks in my life. I didn't necessarily seek those cohorts of people out deliberately, not to say that, that, my automatic Smith community wasn't those things. They actually are 
one of my best friends is an artist and another one is a really amazing activist. Um, so it's like hard to put into words, I guess, what I mean, but just trying to sort of articulate that experience of like, you know, just in very recent years, noticing that I haven't always um, allowed myself to connect with like my natural self, I guess, if that's, if that makes sense. Yes. This is, this is all getting really like vulnerable and deep all of a sudden. I don't know how that started happening, but yeah. It's an occupational hazard, I guess, when you come <laughs> into contact with me. I think so, Kara. Um, I want to thank you for sharing it because I, I think I know this is something I have heard expressed to me. And I think where you are in your journey of is really important for other women to hear. So I really, I don't know quite how we got here. I mean, that's what I love about this show sometimes. I'm just like people listening in. I'm like, who knows where this is going to go? So Katie, sharing that, and I want to remind you and everyone listening that this podcast is a place for women to be perfectly imperfect. There are no pedestals for me. There are no pedestals for my guest. Um, There's no pedestals for the people listening either. I know there are women that are probably listening to what you just described right now and thinking, me too. (laughs) What are some steps that you're taking in this process of self-discovery for you? Um... Some steps currently or sort of what, what set it all off? What's maybe what set it off or has helped in the past or what's what you're doing now? Either or wherever you yeah. feel like it's more beneficial for people listening to hear. Sure. Um, well, I'll just start. What set it off was definitely kind of like a, a cataclysmic event in my life, which was leaving um, a really toxic relationship that had been going on for a number of years and sort of getting to know myself after that and having the amazing opportunity to form some new female friendships right at that time and sort of together creating sort of a new life. I don't know. It just, I had the opportunity to sort of turn a new page in a way that is, it was kind of happenstance. I can't sort of recommend that to anyone because it just kind of happened. Um, a splatter but, of a breakup will do that. <laughs> yes. So, but, you know, there's an opportunity during some a process like a breakup to really, like I said, just be real with yourself and just, you know, just through meditation, through external processing, through exercise, through whatever works for you to be that vehicle of being real with yourself. It sort of starts to take shape. And also, like I said, through the decisions that have led me to the work I'm doing, you know, with Artisana and with the different elements of my life, all of it is connected to, to just understanding more about myself, understanding more about what's meaningful for me. And, um, yeah, all of that is pretty abstract and not too specific perhaps or helpful, but. I think it's helpful for other women to hear. Okay. (laughs) I I really do. I, I think sometimes I can relay a story but it's different when people hear it right from someone that's experiencing it. And I think we sometimes discount the comfort that another person can derive from knowing other women are feeling this too. Mm-hmm. Other women totally. struggle with this too because 
and this is where I sort of am getting on a soapbox and I'll be careful, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting more siloed and we're getting mm-hmm. more isolated. I remember yeah. being, going for the tour, and I don't know if you've done this yet in Western Mass, going to the tour of Mark Twain's house in Connecticut. Mm, I haven't. I want to, actually. There's a there's a room upstairs where it was his office, but also a big billiard room. Like there's his desk was in the corner and there's a big billiard room. And I for years I've been using the expression, gone are the days of sewing circles in billiard rooms. And I remember standing in that room and, you know, having heard several years of private conversations with women thinking, we are so alone. And I mean, I that was partly why I that's partly why I created Vital Core. Like, we have to start talking to each other about things. We have to start acknowledging that we're not the perfect Pinterest model of ourselves or the perfect Facebook totally. ideal yeah. of ourselves. Oh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm sharing all that, but it's a long way about of saying just you putting that out there is valuable. Mm-hmm. Whether you have all the answers or not, or they're <laughs> abstract or they're discrete, yeah. I'll take discre- I'll take discrete if you've got it. But there's real power in just hearing it. So thank yeah. you. Oh sure, and um, more than happy to. Um, I I think there's a lot to be said for the non pedestal approach for sure. And I <laughs> when you when I think about leadership too, I think about leadership a lot because uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but like what I've been a I've had sort of different opportunities to maybe um, express leadership in different ways. But right now the, the main heartbeat of my life is at the Sinai. And that's really every, every um, ounce of my being is dedicated to making it feel collaborative and really taking time for conversations and brainstorms and making it not hierarchical. Um, and really part of the way that I'm trying to make that happen is being really transparent and really anti-pedestal as the leader of the project, like I, I make it fully known when I'm having a really disorganized time, when I've failed to keep us on task with our timelines, like there's no pretense of I ha- I'm holding this together whatsoever for better, for worse. Right. Cause some, cause I totally understand that it's necessary for there to be a leader in certain instances of certain movements or certain, you know, projects, a leader who really is leading it and people feel they, they can trust them to keep it together. Right. But in this instance, I've really intentionally been not doing that. So to the point where it's a bit risky, right? Because you're asking people to trust you, even though you're showing them how imperfect you are. I'm letting them know, like, hey, listen, I did not get a chance to send out the newsletter yet. So we have to change our timeline on this. You know, and there, it's been so wonderful because everybody has accepted those imperfections and worked together. It creates this spirit of we can do this no matter what. You know, I'm, again, I'm just speaking directly about this this process of, of developing the project of Artisana. But as the leader, trying to not be really leading, trying to be sort of leading from behind, if you will, creating more of a collaborative atmosphere for decision making and, and and our whole process. Um, that piece has been a little hard, you know, because it's embarrassing when you're supposed to be on top of it and you failed to tick off a task on the uh, on the to do list that needed to have happened by a certain time. It's embarrassing. You should have done it. But being honest with your team and just being transparent about, about listen, that didn't happen. What are we going to do now? It's, it's like a whole nother level of experiencing that, that realness of, you know, because like I said, you're asking them to trust you and to see your, 
see your strengths and your weaknesses and trust you anyway. So it's, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy world of shaping your self-knowledge, I guess. <laughs> but And leadership is hard. I mean, the role that you're doing, you're partly the spokesperson and face of the organization. Also, I mean, there's what, five of you, you said? You and, and four the other core women? Team, or yeah. The core team. And, and I should, I, there's also another woman, Peggy Shannon, who is invaluable. She's one of the volunteers. She's a weaving coach and she's been with the project for years now. So she's also, she hasn't been as involved as, as the other four women and myself, but she's also part of the core team. Yeah. So that's also a very small number of women doing a whole lot of work. Mm-hmm. So it, to be expected that things, I mean, entrepreneurship in general, things fall through the cracks, things get broken. You think something's going to be a 20-minute activity and three hours later you're still wrestling it. All of these things come up. In terms of being a leader, it sounds really valuable that you are just showing up as a perfectly imperfect human being. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Artisana is really atypical in the sense that you probably picked up on it from what I said. Like, we really are a family. We're not, we don't have, like, a professional relationship. So, you know, say what you will, but that's just the way it is. And I think that's definitely our strength. We're, you know, we're a family. So we're really real with each other. Um, When I go to, like, entrepreneurship meetups or, you know, I've done a number of sort of um, trainings or workshops that I love the world of entrepreneurship so much and at the same time very frustrated with elements of it but one of the ways that it, it's a bit challenging for me is that artisana is so different because it's because it's a collaborative process and it's a social enterprise so we're working on programming and attracting grant funding at the same you know nonprofit type work at the same time as we're really focusing on developing the business into a successful business so and doing it as a team, it's just there's so much that doesn't sort of translate into the typical models that most people are following with entrepreneurship. So I think that without having that family-like atmosphere, it would just be really, it wouldn't work because I, that solidarity and that encouragement and that troubleshooting is is really hard to find outside of our own little world because no one really gets what we're doing. Like we have such an atypical approach. I feel like so yeah. It sounds just, like it would be really isolating. Exactly. For me and for all of us, if, if I was trying to, I don't even know, I can't picture it any way, other way than the way it is because it's working the way it is. Good. Oh, yeah. Katie, you're doing a lot of stuff and I imagine you cannot get all of the work done in any of the spheres of your life completely by yourself. How comfortable are you with asking for help? Oh, I'm a huge proponent of asking for help. <laughs> Tell me more, because this is this is the Achilles heel for me. <laughs> oh man, there. Like I said, with entrepreneurship, and especially with the brand of it that I'm and like endeavoring on, which is social enterprise. There's amazing communities out there and amazing resources out there, and sometimes you have to just deliberately raise your hand and, and seek it out and connect with somebody who can help you because, you know everybody's an important piece of the puzzle. <laughs> you can't do it all yourself. And I've learned that the hard way. Um, so I don't know. I just, yeah, for me, it's, it's not been difficult to call a friend and ask for advice or, you know, call the Hamden Bar Association and try to find a lawyer who could do some pro bono counseling. I mean, I really have 
yeah, I just sort of pound the pavement till I find the piece of information or, or expertise that I'm missing. How do you know when to ask for help? Right? Like, so let me give you an example from back in the day in my life and a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. So I used to make big old financial models. And, you know, they would take days and days and days and be all these like Excel pages linked together and would do all these formulas and calculations. And inevitably, at some point in the process, you would, you know, hit your elbow on the keyboard and knock out one cell and it would like send an error message through all of that. And it would take a while to unwind sometimes. I was always really bad at knowing when tenacity was not serving me. That was, you know, where I would just get on the hamster wheel and be looking and looking and looking for like an hour or two when if I had just gotten up and gone to lunch or gone and got some dinner or went to the gym for a half an hour, came back, I probably would have seen the mistake in five minutes instead of Mm -hmm. 50 minutes or five hours. Mm -hmm. So as someone who has just described being really awesome at asking for help, how do you know in the moment, like... How do you know in the moment this is when I should be asking for help? Um, well, there's days when things don't go well and you just feel, you know, I'll just be feeling really disappointed in myself or just feeling really drained from trying to deal with all the different roadblocks. And those are the days when I know that I need, you know, those feelings, those, that'll let me know that I need help, like, keeping my head up. And I'll call a friend or I'll talk to my partner, Carlos, and you know, do those sort of self-care things in that way. But when it comes to knowing I need to ask for help to figure out how to do um, something, you know, with entrepreneurship or with one of the jobs that I'm, you know, trying to, 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 to do, um, I really, I went through this period where I had taken on a position that I was super excited about and I was really in over my head from the moment it started and I wasn't given any sort of mentor or roadmap or support system whatsoever. And I didn't know what I was doing to the extent that I didn't even know what questions to ask. Like I really struggled for like 10 hours a day for months, like trying to figure out how to do what I was trying to do. And obviously that was a formula for disaster. So basically, I don't know. I just, as soon as I realized, you know what, I'm working on this and this shouldn't be this hard. Like, I know there's a better way to do this. I'll just sort of tick through the list of people that might know and I'll shoot an email to one of them. You know, as soon as I'm struggling with something that I feel someone else could very easily resolve, I'll try to ask that person for for some help. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like, um, obviously, there's areas of expertise like accounting, for instance, where I automatically know I need help and I'm trying to seek out <laughs> some assistance in that area, you know. But then when it comes to troubleshooting, you know, various aspects that maybe I thought I could do, as soon as I really run into, like, trouble where I'm noticing I am hitting a wall here, like I said, I'll just think of someone who might be able to help and I'll see if they're available or willing. Nice. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it did. It sounds like what I'm hearing anyways, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is that it's a sense of kind of just internal frustration. Like, yes. Yeah. I guess, are there questions that come to mind for yourself? You know how we all have that itty bitty shitty committee inside that 
that sort mm. of whirls it up sometimes for better or worse. Mm-hmm. Are there particular questions that you you find yourself landing on internally when you're in that place? Um, why is this taking me so long? What is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that basic. It's like, that basic. Yeah, basically, definitely have those days or, or moments where it's incredibly frustrating. I'll be working on something for hours that I just, you know, had no idea I was going to take that long. And that's kind of what it is with, with entrepreneurship is, um, you just don't know that something is going to be that hard. It might seem like it would be easy and then you start doing it and you realize you're in trouble. So I always, yeah, I'm always happy to reach out to try to get some help. And I, re- and I reciprocate, I should say. I'm always, I always make it very known to friends, to people who are, you know, like-minded or trying to do similar work that if there's something I can help with, to just let me know. And they do. And I'm, I'm always happy to help out whenever I can. So I think that's important. Yes. Yes. We're all in this together. <laughs> whether whether exactly. we like it or not, we're all in this together. Yeah. <laughs> something that resonated with me that I came across with entrepreneurship, that's sort of this process where first you're in this state of unconscious incompetence, which is sort of those moments <laughs> that we were just talking about where you don't realize that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> then you come into the second phase, which would be conscious incompetence. So you become very well aware of how much help you need or, you know, just the, the real, um, the long road that lies ahead and then you, the third phase is conscious competence. So you are, you're aware of what you're trying to get done. You've gained the skills, the knowledge, the practice. You are consciously competent. And then finally, the end of the, of the journey is you reach unconscious competence where you could do it in your sleep. It just comes naturally. You can start working on other things you've you've just mastered it. So it's that level of mastery that comes probably through a lifetime of working in an area that, um, you know, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> so I just wanted to share that because it seemed really relevant to, to that process question that we were talking about. And I think it's fascinating because as you were saying that, as an entrepreneur, and, you know, I think even just doing something like this podcast there have been moments where I have felt like I have mastered something mm. and I didn't even know what I didn't know. Like I have cycled through all of those steps in a single day sometimes mm. just working mm-hmm. on something as small as this podcast. Right. It's yeah. so fascinating. And as an entrepreneur, we have to get used to that feeling mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. how we can be complete masters in something and then five minutes later have no idea what we're doing. Exactly right. And some things come easier than others, right? Some, I think that's what the word talent really means. Like talent is that you achieve unconscious competence very quickly or right away. So like, you know, whether it's with music or like for me, it's translating, like I can do simultaneous translation very well. It won't be like, it's exhausting, but like that's something I know I'm really talented at. I'm just going to say it. But other things I have to go through each and every one of those painful steps to try to get, you know, to try to gain the skills and the knowledge and the experience that I know I, I need. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a long road. It's not for the faint of heart, as I say. 
no entrepreneurship business (laughs) so so based on that statement I want to ask you a question just to kind of see where you're at resilience or grit from which place do you operate most and how does it show up for you I love that question I think those two qualities are so key um for women and for people everywhere really. But, um, I think at different moments, both have been the most salient for me. Um, you know, at at sort of a cup, you know, past traumatic moments, definitely resilience is necessary to be able to move forward past difficulty. Um, but I would say that grit in the everyday is what sort of carries me through like this process that we've been talking about with developing artisana and, and sort of even, you know, becoming real about who you are and what matters to you. All of that has to do more with like the mental toughness and courage of grit. Um, so yeah, I would say both, but more grit. How does it show up for you in action? Do you see it or is it something more transparent? I see it in the sense that I'll just, you know, when I resolve to just force myself to keep going with something or pull an all-nighter because I can't bear to miss another one of my self-imposed deadlines. I mean, that's kind of crazy <laughs> and stupid. <laughs> I need to stop doing it. But at the end of the day, it, it is what's important. It's making me keep going. It's like this um, being resolute to just keep going. So I guess I do see it like literally in those – it manifests itself literally in those ways. Um, but also taking time to reflect, obviously – about ways that you can be kinder to yourself and be more efficient and effective in the process um, is important. Like grit, like baring your teeth and, and just going for it no matter what is not always the answer for sure. Or not sustainable. Exactly. So on that point, what role does self-care play in your life? Um, definitely... Like, I don't know. I mean, I like most of us, I think I could probably do better. For instance, I've really let exercise slip away from me. I've always been pretty active, and recently I just haven't. Um, but I do do a little yoga in the morning, and that sort of that healthy morning routine is super important for me. It's literally a 10-minute routine that I do and a five-minute meditation, and then I have, you know, my caffeinated beverage and <laughs> do, do, you know, get to work. So, I think that um, that little morning routine is important. And then also just being um, aware of when I need to to call it quits. Sort of my goal is for this year, of course, it's January, so we're all excited about our resolutions. Mine is just one, very simple, which is to at least four days out of the week at 6 p.m. be done working, not think about it, not check my email, not do anything else. Because it's just become too invasive in my life. All these different hats and all these different projects. Um, I also work with my partner, Carlos, on developing a different business project that we're working on called Paper City Clothing Company. Um, we launched in December with a, with a soft opening and we're working on some really cool projects um, coming out soon. But it's with um, silkscreen printing and clothing design. And he's much more sort of at the forefront of it. But it takes a lot of my time, too, in, in driving that. So basically, there's just always too much to do. And my resolution is at 6pm, it's all going to wait at least four days out of the week. (laughs) So I think that'll be good. Yeah. 
How is it going for you? And it's going pretty good. What's helping yeah. you stick to that? Because I'm sure there are people listening because this show attracts type A's and activity <laughs> addicts alike. So yeah. hearing that, I know there's probably people gasping somewhere in the universe right now. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, just realizing that no matter how much work I do, there's always more to do. Like that mountain of 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 things to do in order to move forward and, and achieve those goals, it's always going to be there. So in the meantime, you need to let life happen. And part of the reason that, that I think I've really um, decided to commit to this is my partner, Carlos. He's just a, an amazing part of my life. And he's so different than me in that regard. Like he's very down to earth and mellow and pretty much nothing phases him. Like I've seen him upset, like all of four times in terms of like, <laughs> you know, like he's just a very serene kind of guy. Um, and I'm quite the opposite. So it really is helpful to have him around and, uh, you know, everyone sort of appreciates, for instance, like the Zen philosophy about just living in the now or, you know, little sayings like don't sweat the small stuff. Everyone sort of innately understands that that's true, but very few people can really embrace that and put it into practice naturally, I think. And he's one of those that has always been like that. He just doesn't like have a tendency to let worry consume him as much. No matter what's going on, like he'll face some really serious stuff and he'll still be able to be like, well, the sun is out, we're here living, you know, really keeping in mind the what matters in life. So having him, you know, we live together, so he's he's just a huge part of my life and I think he's one of the reasons that that 6 p.m. deadline has become <laughs> real for me because I do want to enjoy my life and have a nice evening together and you know, I used to, when I worked full time, it's like you would look forward, no matter what you were doing, no matter how engaged or passionate you are about your job, you look forward to 5 p.m. and you look forward to the weekend because you have a life and you have other things you want to do. When you're an entrepreneur and you're self-employed, which I am both of those things, you don't look forward to 5 p.m., you don't look forward to the weekend, well, then it all becomes kind of moot, you know, so you kind of have to draw those parameters for yourself um, and... That's that's my 2017 project, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's definitely hard. I, I feel it. I feel the difficulty in putting down the laptop because of that sort of, I don't know. I, I definitely have like a perpetual fear of dropping the ball somehow, you know, because of all the different projects that I feel I'm responsible for. So it's tough, but it's necessary, so... And there is a, maybe I'm wrong, and this is going to be a really big generalization. There's an implicit belief out there, I think definitely in the startup culture, and it probably transcends beyond that, but I can only sort of speak to the entrepreneurship piece, that leadership is about working all the time, like making sure, like, being responsible for everything getting done means you have to work 24 by 7 to do it. Mhm. Do you do you see that show up in in your spheres as well? I definitely see it show up. Um I try not to subscribe to that approach. I think that sort of my decision to for now be like a starving entrepreneur and sort of forego 
you know, the luxuries that would come with like a well-paying job or, you know, those types of things. It's, I'm giving certain things up and I'm gaining far more right now, which for me is just the ability to just live in the spaces that I find meaningful and work on the areas of myself and, and my skills and things that I want to be working on. And all of that has to do with, it's, it's kind of like a personal choice, but it, you know, everything is connected in that way. And I don't know. I, I think that it's all about sort of being, being who you are and that, that translates into your work and into your leadership. If you're not being the best person that you can be, then you're not going to be a good leader and you're not going to do a good job ultimately. So if you're not taking care of yourself, you're just, you're not going to, you're going to fall short always of being the best person you can be. I mean, it's just, it's just math, you know? Yeah. People need the time off. I, I subscribe to a worldview much closer to yours. Yeah, yeah. Where we have to have that time to reboot. We have to we have to reset mentally, physically. And I know mm-hmm. I know for me in my twenties where the energy was boundless and I could I could overdraft my energetic check checking account, basically. Right? Like mm, I could stay up yeah. all night, I could sleep on a conference room floor, I could work 100 hours a week for two months on end. I could travel 98% of the time. And then eventually, even in my late 20s, I started mid-20s, really, seeing physical effects of that. Like Mm -hmm. something, when you overdraft your account all the time, something happens. So it is really Mm -hmm. important to take that time away. And kudos to you for really being able to go pencils down at 6 p.m. Well, it's, you know, cheers to that. I hope I can keep it going. It definitely feels great and important for sanity and physical health. So, and your, and my relationship. I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, just for real talk again, when you have workaholic tendencies, which I definitely have, you, you know, the relationships in your life suffer. And when you have, when that's important to you and you have to really realize like, what are my priorities? If I'm saying to myself, my relationships are important then why am I not actually living by that creed? You know, so when you're working all day, you don't have time for your relationships. That's going to really have some serious consequences that will be really detrimental to all areas of your life and and to the people in your life that you don't, you know, want to affect negatively. So just for that reason, too, I was really noticing, man, I'm not making time for Carlos. I'm not making time for my friends. This needs to stop. And, yeah, I definitely encourage people to try that. I don't know. It sounds like, why aren't we all just doing that automatically? But of course I completely understand why, you know, you get caught up in, in projects and it seems impossible to, to keep, you know, you feel like if you put it on pause, you'll lose momentum or you'll, you know, it's, it's hard, but yeah. Yeah. Cause there are so many internal and external forces at play, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're in a job situation, it could be a job you hate, but you have a boss saying the deadline is this time. It Mm -hmm. could be a job that you love and it's hard to put it down because you love it. And then when it's something entrepreneurship, not only do you love it, I know for me personally, in some ways, Vital Core is Kara, Kara is Vital Core. Like it's so Mm -hmm. enmeshed in who I am these days that sometimes when it, I tend to work a little bit later of a day. I start a little bit later. So I usually work like 10 to 7 are my Mm -hmm. typical hours that I try to keep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I find sometimes it's so difficult to put it away because at 7 p.m., I look at some of the things that I'm working on and I think, is this work or is this personal? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. like recording a podcast, you and I having this very conversation to me, how do I call this work? I'm learning right. a ton in this process just by listening to you. I love doing this, but, you know, some people would say, well, this is this is work. Party work hours. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and at the same time, it's a tricky line because that's exactly what I was pretty much on the daily experiencing. Like I would start my day at 7.30 or 8 and I would be, you know, wrapping up at 8.30 or 9 and or later by the time I actually, because the whole day got consumed in these other related things that didn't feel like work. And then by the end of the day, it was like, oh man, I have to finish these, you know, work, work things. And then so I'd be at my laptop for the last five hours of the day. And it's just, it comes down to like organizing your your daily schedule. That's a huge piece of it for sure. And and at the end of the day, just committing to calling it quits. A deadline is is oftentimes necessary. But I totally feel you on that. That just yeah. How do you organize your schedule? How do you classify some things as work and some things as play? And what's essential and what's you know if I have time, I'll do this too. Or so that's yeah. a really great segue, Katie. There are a certain handful of questions that I love to hear all of my guests wax on about that I call the champagne questions. Mm -hmm. And you're touching on one of them right now. So I may switch gears if you don't mind. And mm -hmm. we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll take that question first and then kind of tackle the others. But how do you organize or manage your tasks on a day to day basis? Um, definitely to-do lists and, uh, Google calendar <laughs> are my friends. And, you know, I also have, I try to draw up at least monthly sort of timelines of what needs to happen when, and then plan out each week accordingly. And, um, you know, it, it comes down, all of that sounds great, but the only way that it works is if you are really, um, for me, it's about discipline. Like I have to be like, okay, I said I was going to only take three hours to do this. So I need to just wrap it up and move on, even if it's not perfect. You know, like I need to recognize that if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to do this other thing, which is also important. Those types of time management things, which does not come easy to me, it's definitely the area that I think I've identified as one of the main areas I need to keep um, improving in is, is time management because it's connected to well being and efficiency and you know managing to to do what you need to do or you want to do so yeah i i do to-do lists and i do google calendar and as long as i'm disciplined it works <laughs> something i'm working on though definitely an area i'm working on got it so. <laughs> and what's what's your favorite tool app gadget or resource I love that question, and it didn't take me long to realize that what I wanted to answer was podcasts. I love listening to podcasts, whether you know it's something like this. Like I've definitely heard some of your shows and really Thank enjoyed you. it like, while I'm cleaning the kitchen or whatever because it's it's like a way to refuel. First of all, when you need that that community and that solidarity with other women who are you know exploring their own areas of interest or their own you know, becoming their best selves, all those types of themes that in the data, the hubbub of day-to-day kind of get lost. So depending on what you need, and other times it's like, oh man, I really want to know about the history of genetically modified foods. And you can find a podcast about whatever it is and you listen to it 
And for me, that's huge. So my favorite tool would be podcasts, whether it's to obtain more knowledge or entertainment or solidarity and refuel. Or all of the above, right? Or all of the above, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Katie, what's your most impactful habit? Um, Something I'm working on right now, so it's kind of recent, but definitely have felt it to be very impactful. It's to do with really being very conscious of your body language and language itself um, in the way that you interact with people, um, specifically more to do with like in the workplace type settings, like when you're having a meeting or negotiating something or just, you know, letting someone know how things are going with a certain area of something you're working on. I've started noticing that I was really wasting a lot of energy on like being too effusive and energetic and just automatic like excess positivity and it's hard to like (laughs) quite describe what I mean but it was just I just came to realize like men around me were not doing any of those things they might smile once when they say hi but they might not even and it's not rude it's to to be more neutral and reserved isn't rude it's just it's just what it is. So once you start sort of trying to relearn to be more neutral and less like what I would do, like my natural tendency, like I said, was to just always be like smiling a ton or like just expressing such enthusiasm about whatever we're talking about or really reassuring someone over and over again, if they didn't like come through or if things didn't go as we had discussed those types of like extraness, Trying to switch that out and just being more neutral and reserved has just been really world changing for me. And so I'm I'm really working on that. I have I have to, you know, it's it's changing a it's unlearning a, a certain series of habits and replacing them with others. But like I said, I, I just I just started realizing that men around me in, in sort of more workplace settings were not doing any of those things that I was doing and it sort of helps command more respect also, I think. Um So maybe that just has something to do with being young and female and learning how to command respect in the the workplace. Um, But it's definitely made me much happier because I don't waste energy. I can just be more direct and therefore more clear and get what I really needed to get out of the conversation or the meeting or whatever it may be. So are you talking about being... It sounds to me like what I'm hearing, and maybe I'm reading too much into this. It sounds like just learning how to be more assertive and more direct. It it is similar to that, but it is not that. It's hard to describe. It's like I've I've never had an issue speaking my mind or being assertive, but I have had an issue feeling the need to really take care of people's feelings and being really like like I said like either super enthusiastic or like super reassuring um and so like if I so say for example I'm not really too jazzed about something you said Kara okay so I'm gonna be like hey Kara I love so much like the 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 automatic way that I would have approached the situation without thinking too much about it ahead of time would have been like Kara I love your podcast I love everything you do you are so awesome. And you know what? There was this one thing that you that you said that I was kind of like not so sure about, you know, trying to really like, and meanwhile, I would have been like smiling and gesturing wildly and like just really <laughs> letting you know with my body language that I was on your side and everything's okay. 
but I just wanted you to know this one thing. And, and in, in this case, I probably would have done it the same way anyway, because you're, you know, because you're Kara, but if it was like me having <laughs> a, 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 something I needed to point out to like somebody who I have more of like a professional partnership with, that approach would have still been my natural approach. I would have felt the need to make them feel reassured that they're doing well and it's just this one thing I want them to consider as opposed to just having like a neutral facial expression, not needing to beef out my comment with anything else and just being like, hey, I just want to let you know that you should consider changing this. It's not working well, you know, and not needing to apologize for having let them know that they needed to make a change. So it's, I guess I'm still sort of like figuring out how to articulate it, but I don't know if this will help too. Like, like I've sort of called the, the like really effusive automatic nature. I sort of call it, uh, what is it? The daisy, the daisy nature where you're just kind of like all sunshine and sparkles and sprinkling <laughs> love and comfort to everybody. And then the other, the more reserved and intentional, like, you know, posture and neutrality where you're totally being polite and you're totally being kind. Like this is not about being cold hearted or harsh or anything like that. It's just being neutral and, and um, not needing to be all extra. So that's what I call the orchid mode where it's just more sort of about those things. And like I said, it's just, has saved me so much energy. Well, Cause you're not having a tap and... dance for everyone. Exactly. You're not, you're, there's no need. You're there's letting no need. them own their emotions you yes. own yours and that two people can have a conversation without one needing to babysit the other. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, just the more I have really, again, this is part of like coming to terms with like the realness of, of who I am, like other people, like other young women in my life have experienced very similar patterns where I guess it's to do with conditioning or socializing as opposed to most men who just have no problem just being neutral and, you know, not do any of that extra stuff. And it just makes more sense, I think. And again, it's not the same. It's not that I'm advocating for being like cold hearted or anything like that. It's, it's quite different, but anyway, I'm still trying to figure out like, I guess how to explain it, but that's the habit that I've really felt an impact in my life is to really remind myself and, and work on it before you know, every day, basically, as part of my meditation practice. Very cool. I'm so glad you shared that. And Katie, I have to wonder someday if you'll have a leadership book called Orchid Mode. <laughs> I know. I don't even know where that came from, but I was like, I need two contrasting but similar things. Anyway, um, yeah, it's been quite revelatory. Awesome. Well, speaking of books, which I kind of had this mental image of your Orchid Mode book, <laughs> what's the most inspiring or useful book you've read? Um, well, I'm a reader. I've always loved, I love Jane Austen. I love Tolstoy. You name it. Basically, I've read it and I love it. But these days, I have to be honest, I just don't read as much as I used to. I really tend to read more articles. I wanted to take this time to also mention like a a writer that, that I really admire and throw out a specific article that really um, was very inspiring and useful. So her name is Bani Amor, B-A-N-I Amor, and she's a, a, a travel writer, and she really focuses on decolonizing travel culture. And um, the article that she wrote, um, it's called Spend and Save, the Narrative of Fair Trade and White Saviorism. It is just so well-observed, 
so excellent and so important for for you know for America to, to read and to think about and and it really also obviously relates to artisana and everything we're trying to do as far as changing narratives um, around around you know how our things are made and how are people who have been traditionally marginalized how are they how are we amplifying their voices and um, their their power over changing their own lives and their own communities and creating this this positive project. So, you know, it's it's very related to sort of the, the work that I am passionate about doing, but it's also just super relevant to everyday life. Anybody who travels, anybody who wants to support fair trade project um, products, which obviously, hopefully most of us do want to do that. Um, but it's important to be really conscious of, of the different uh, nuances that are really that are really present in all of this. Um, it's complex stuff. So she really does a good job of breaking it down. So I really, I wanted to call that out. Thank you. You know, I use book, but I'm happy to accept article. And I will try to link to that in the show notes. I'll, I'll make sure I can find it. And if I can't, I'll reach out to you. And we'll figure out how to, how to make that happen. But I, I love it because it's something, I know it's such a nuanced thing that it's one of those I spend so much time reading about food and food politics and all of that and I know how nuanced that is so when I see something about fair trade I know I probably only understand at best 15-20% of the conversation of the implications socially economically what have you so Mm -hmm. I love that you have now provided a great resource for me and others to learn from. And it sounds like in a really encapsulated form as well, like a digestible form. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And Katie, when you need inspiration to what or where do you go? Um, Definitely music. It's, it's, I've always, my parents are musicians and I'm a musician and I, I just love music, all different types of music. Um, and, and when it comes to like using it for inspiration, it just kind of come nat- comes naturally because, I mean, that's, I think for many of us, where music is such a powerful part of our lives. But for me also, I find that it's really kind of like a time machine. Like I can really transport to a different time and place or feeling by listening to, you know, I'll know what to put on to sort of feel a certain way that I want to feel at that time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Yes. I don't know. It's just, it's such an effective tool in that way where you can really stimulate certain feelings. And I don't know, it's, it's very inspiring for sure. So I would say music. <laughs> Are there any particular pieces of music that really draw you in either to soothe you or to energize you? Oh man, so I know. many things. I know. <laughs> I'm a music person too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it depends on your mood and all that. Like, I definitely would sort of my go to if I'm trying to sort of energize and, you know, yeah, if I'm trying to energize, it'd probably be Beyonce or or like '90s hip hop, or these days really also interested in um, sort of more like indie electronic. Like, I really like house music and different takes on that. That that are out there. Um, but then to sort of relax, I love classical music. You know, my parents are classical musicians. So that's something I, you know, also probably because of having grown up with it, it's particularly sort of soothing for me. I don't know. There's so much, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. I won't, I won't hold you to it. 
Mm-hmm. And Katie, these next few questions have to do with being a modern woman. How mm-hmm. would you define being a modern woman? I think that with all the different options, and of course we're speaking of the Western world and mainly of the privileged Western world, but with all the different options that that we have these days, to be a modern woman I think really has to do with everything we've talked about, to really be in tune with what's really meaningful for you and carve your own path according to that. Nice. What would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? I think it's important for us to really evolve our understanding of feminism and to recognize that oppression affects different women differently. So patriarchy is real and we need to definitely squash it. But it's also like a really insufficient lens, I think, for understanding the advantages and disadvantages that different people face according to obviously race and gender and sexual identity and all these things. So sort of redefining our approach to creating more equality in our society. Um, I think we have to, you know, be each other's champions, but really with a, with a nuanced understanding of, you know, our own position within that. So for me, obviously, you know, I'm a white woman and I tried, I'm, this is an area where I'm still really trying to get my bearings, but it's very important to me to deepen my understanding of, what that means and all the connotations, especially doing purpose-driven work and working with communities of color that I'm not a part of, you know, that I didn't grow up amidst. Ne- well, I mean, technically I did. I mean, my thing is... <laughs> I was just going to say you kind of did, though. <laughs> yeah, like I grew up in Mexico. I was the only really white person in most of the schools that I was ever, you know, at. And then I went to Vermont for a few years, which is totally white. And then back to Mexico where, once again... Uh, you know, me and my family were one of the only American families at the school. And then um, at Smith, you know, just sort of, I don't know, it's just there. It's always complicated, right? Each person has a different experience of racial dynamics. But most of us, most of us white people sort of haven't been exposed to enough non-white only spaces and don't have necessarily enough understanding of of what it means to be white. I mean, we, we might admit that white privilege exists, but that's not, that's not what it's really all about. You know, that's sort of the bare minimum step one. <laughs> so really taking it upon ourselves to educate ourselves, to listen to people of color talk about their experiences with racism, to really examine what, what are the systems of racism and how can we really dismantle those effectively. And all of those, all that is, you know, that's life work right there that, like I said, Archison is connected to and, we're trying to to be involved in that world, but personally, as a, as a white person, that's something I'm really trying to to navigate as best I can and trying to inform myself better and all of that. It's a nonstop learning process because you know, yes, because there's the there's fears of I don't. I'm I don't have much vocabulary when it comes to the social justice world and that's something I'm trying to educate myself a lot on mm-hmm. these days. I I guess it's like you have so many different groups and tribes so to speak that even tribes within these larger groups that all have their own opinion about how things should go. Mm-hmm. And then you have the people within those tribes underneath like you keep breaking down the layers and there's so many diverse opinions it's hard to know 
you know, oh, definitely. like if it's you so if you hard. talk to 10 different people of that are all African American or 10 different Latina women, they're all going to have a different opinion on how how the communications between the white and Latina community are or the white and the the African American community are. And right. I'm to me as someone who is really a detail person, it becomes mind-boggling. Like the, mm-hmm. like my 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 computer smokes inside my head sometimes. Oh, completely. Because I, I'm I, trying I, to make a system from the details and it's almost impossible. Yeah, and you're also like if you really are willing to open your eyes and, and listen to everything, you're basically unlearning a lot and starting to see the world in a totally different way and it's very confusing and overwhelming and all you can do is keep going with it and keep, like I said, listening to people of color who are talking about it. There is a, a totally an array of voices and opinions and everyone agrees on the big things, you know, equality and down with racism, but what does that really look like and how do we really work towards it in an effective way? That's where each person sort of has to find their own tribe, as you said, and sort of align with what, what resonates and what, according to the best, our best ability of, uh, you know, understanding, you know, what works. And so for me, it's just become about sort of aligning with, with efforts to decolonize, you know, everything, our whole, our whole, our whole world, our whole culture. Oh man, you got me started on this. It's just, <laughs> it's a never ending thing. But like I said, like to sort of get back to your question about what would I like for modern women to give more of a shit about, it definitely has to do with really being real and owning up to who you are in the world. And like, if you're doing certain things, how come you were able to do those things? If you're not doing certain things, wow, I wasn't able to do those things. Why is that? And you know, it's just, it's all interconnected, but realizing who you really are and, and definitely with the, with the racial um, lens, very at, at the forefront, I think it's just so important, especially for white women. So what I'm hearing in what you just said, if I was going to try to make it practical for people listening, what I what I just took away from what you said is, especially as a white woman, learning how to listen, like just be there, just take it in, ask questions and really listen. And, mm-hmm. and that can be a starting place for people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. You're a woman after my own heart, Katie. and I'm by no means I must say I'm a novice at this and I've just you know when you said when you mentioned about your computer being about to explode or something like getting overwhelmed with like the information overload and the the divergent perspectives it's so hard and I definitely have a lot of days where I get really overwhelmed with trying to figure out what all is going on and what is my role within it like I said especially within the nonprofit sector and within the, the, the like purpose-driven world where you're a white person working with communities of color, trying to be in partnership, trying to solidify or accelerate the initiative that they're already taking, all of those things, you know, if you're not deeply aware of yourself and your whiteness, chances are you're probably, you know, you're probably being counter to, to what you're actually trying to achieve. So it's, it's just important to just try to ex- be aware of, be aware of things and like you said listen yeah it's a whole it's a whole thing for sure it's yeah yes <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to it's hard to sort of distill it into bite-sized pieces for of sure of course oh of course and conversely what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about um well you actually alluded to this before and i think i definitely agree with like the social media like 
self culture, like the, the, the need to sort of display a flashy and successful existence that is really pervasive, I think in our culture. And I wish that we weren't doing that so much. Yeah. It's a struggle for women. And I have to laugh, Katie, hearing your choice was doing the work that you're you're doing now or working in advertising. They probably wouldn't have voted very well for your career in New York. I know. <laughs> but at the same time, it's interesting because like advertising is huge, obviously, with what we're trying to do, which is sell our products, right? So marketing is huge. Advertising is huge. And that whole effort to display a desirable curated life is very much, you know, it's part of my life, but I think it's, yeah, it's just, it's everywhere. <laughs> but what it's in some ways it's, a, it's, it's not always like a straight up bad thing. Not at all. I mean, right. It, everything has its place and everything can, you know, be part of a, a greater good. But I was specifically just referring to like people posting selfies and all of that kind of thing. It's just, I don't know. I also can't keep up with it. Like, there's been times where I'm like, oh, it's so nice to see, like, what everyone's up to. And, like, I get a sense of, like, my friend who lives in the Bay, what her daily life is like. And, like, maybe I should do that more. And, then, like, I'll go through, like, a week or two of trying to post updates. And, like, I just can't do it. Like, I can't keep up with it. So <laughs> maybe I'm also just kind of, like, maybe that's part of it, too. But, yeah, I just feel like, why is that necessary? I don't know. Yeah. And on the other side, I mean, for me, who just moved and is kind of living in a temporary living situation for a few months kind of not where I'm probably going to end up for me like some days working for myself it's a lifeline to the outside world where at Mm, least like where you know I can look and see what some friends are doing and realize oh my friend from London's actually going to be in New York because they posted it awesome Mm -hmm. oh I can cross paths with them Mm -hmm. so for me sometimes it it helps in that regard, but I certainly know that other end of the continuum can be dangerous territory. Yeah. It's a mixed bag, for sure. It is. It is. And Katie, what do you most want La Vital Core Salon listeners to know? Maybe it doesn't seem that way from the rest of the podcast, but I've never been good at sort of like tooting my own horn or think like really like um, talking about myself too much. I tend to be like, I'm really a bad storyteller and like, I just don't like not too sherry, really. So I guess think about it this way. And maybe this can maybe this can help and if not, I'll let it go. Okay. But we'll try a different perspective. This question can be about me 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 artisana, here's how you can help, like that kind mm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Or this is a chance for you with the lessons you've been learning and sharing with me over the last hour or so. This is a chance for you to talk to a bunch of women that are your age and probably all the way up to almost 60, based on who I know is personally listening. This is your chance to talk to women who are overscheduling themselves to the point of making themselves sick as activity addicts. This is your chance to talk to women who feel like imposters Um, some, if not all of the time, and worse so as their success grows or their impact grows Mm -hmm. and struggle with that on both a mental and physical basis. And this is your chance to talk to frazzled type A women and 
you know, you described yourself as a workaholic. I was one for certain. That's this crowd. And so I guess if you just pictured all of us women in a room and had the chance to give them some advice that's been helpful to you, what would it be? Okay. Um, well, I heard a quote recently that comes to mind that was something along the lines of not doing the work that you really want to do is similar to waiting till you're in your 70s to have sex. <laughs> so I feel like the moral of that story really is clear in my own life where I'm not making like a practical choice as far as earning money or any of these other sort of life goals that, you know, might guide people's decisions as far as choosing a career path or, or designing their life around certain things. So I just, yeah, and I just believe that that's still the right sort of approach. You have to focus on what is meaningful to you, focus on the work that you want to be doing and the type of life you want to be living, obviously within the constraints of what is necessary like you do need to earn a certain amount of money to eat and pay your expenses and you know depending on each person's goals and sort of lifestyle needs but um yeah I would say prioritizing the the whole picture is really important great thank you Katie (laughs) and one last question Katie if women want to learn more about you and your work how can they best do that I would love to connect with anybody who wants to connect around any of these things. So please um, feel free to email me whenever, K-A-T-Y dot Moonen, M as in Mary, O-O, N as in Nancy, A-N as in Nancy, at gmail.com. And um, I guess the hub of my work these days is Artisana. So you could go to our website, Artisana, A-R-T-E-S-A-N-A dot C-O, or follow us on social media at Artisana Style on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um And definitely consider us whenever you're shopping for yourself or friends for home goods. We have really beautiful handmade, excuse me, yeah, they are handmade, hand-woven, ethical, sustainable products. They make great gifts, too. Um, And I also, another way to connect is around the enterprise that I'm launching with Carlos, my boyfriend. It's called Paper City Clothing Company. We're in Holyoke. Um, The website is papercitycloathingcompany.com. And that's a great place to, to consider if you're in the market to get some shirts printed or any kind of apparel printed. And we're also developing um, his own line of, of creative apparel. So thanks for keeping that in mind. And yeah, I'd always love to connect around any of what we just discussed or if you're interested in any of those projects. So reach out anytime. Awesome. Katie, I'll make sure everyone has all those links and all that information in the show notes. So people, you'll be able to click over to Le Vital Course Salon dot com and you'll find all of the show notes and links to anything that we discussed through the conversation articles whatnot and katie i know with the number of jobs that you are just juggling right now (laughs) and roles that you juggle on a daily basis your time is at a premium and i i deeply want to thank you for showing up here and and talking about what you do but also being so very real and and vulnerable about it. And I think that's how we as women can learn and begin to really connect with each other as full in living color, fully fleshed out human beings. Totally. I mean, part of me kind of wishes that I'd taken this as an opportunity to show the world how incredibly talented and accomplished and awesome I am. 
But that would have kind of been a waste of time. It's much more interesting and important to, like you said, just be vulnerable and real about uh, what's really going on beneath the surface. And um, I think that's the only way to really know yourself and really form meaningful connections with others, which ultimately is sort of the most important piece, I think, in a meaningful life. So thank you for the chance to just uh, real talk. Awesome. Have a great day, Katie. You too. This is Kara again, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at levitalcoresalon.com. So that's any names we mentioned, any resources we mentioned. They're all right there, so you don't have to worry about scribbling stuff down. It's already typed out and easily clickable for you. If you dug today's show or even a past show, Please support La Vital Course Salon. One of the best ways you can do that is by going to iTunes and rating and leaving a short review. It literally takes a couple of minutes, but it will help other people find this show. And new shows will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. So if you're wondering what that timing is, that's what it looks like. And before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer, Craig Snyder, and to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing, and the High Dials for performing my most excellent theme song and all the music you hear. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. See you next time.